Once again this week, we have a very familiar story uh, that we read, and we read it every single second Sunday uh, in Lent. Just like last week, we read the temptation of Jesus. This week, we hear the account of the transfiguration. But it's always important to remember that we must place ourselves there. Imagine that maybe you're Peter, uh, James, or, or John. Or imagine that you're a first century a Jew when you, when you hear this story. And right away, you know that something uh, special is about to happen. Why? What well, says that Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And whenever someone would, would do that, at least, you know, in the in scriptures, we know what's going to happen is God is going to reveal himself. We see this, of course, all the way back with with Abraham and Mount Moriah as Abraham is about to bring Isaac, brings Isaac up there for that sacrifice that we hear about in the first reading uh, today. We have it with Mount Sinai, uh, God revealing himself to Moses in the Ten Commandments. We, of course, have it with Calvary a little bit later in, in there where Jesus has to climb that, that hill, somewhat a mountain. Uh, Jerusalem is definitely a hill, a mountain as well. Uh, and so it's God revealing himself, Elijah, as well on top of a mountain. And so Peter, James, and John would know this, there's something special is going to happen here. And sure enough, God does reveal himself. And it states that he is transfigured before them. What does it mean to be transfigured? We, we hear the word transfiguration all the time. Well, the word transfiguration, transfigured is word, uh, Greek word of metamorphy, uh, which we get the word metamorphosis from. So what does that mean? Because we're not all, you know, doctors and stuff like that. Uh, it means that he was changed in appearance. So Jesus changed in appearance. But not only that, this is what happens in Mark's gospel. He's the only one that actually states this. He states that his clothes became dazzling white, such as no folder on earth could bleach them. Another interpretation is his clothes became immediately white. So maybe he wasn't even wearing white clothes before this. Why is this important? Why does Mark point this out that, that you could even make them, you couldn't bleach them any, any whiter? Well, because once thing when we go back in scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and who else wears white garments? Well, every single time, for the most part, that an angel appears, they're wearing white garments. And so what this reveals is that the angels are heavenly beings, which in turn also means that now we can see that Jesus is a heavenly being. We may be like, duh, we know that. What we do, because we've heard the full story, but we're at Mark chapter 9 right now, and what we see is this is now Jesus revealing his divinity to his apostles as well. That he's fully human and fully divine. Where else we hear about white garments? We could fast forward to Revelation chapter 12, by the way, where it states that uh, the woman clothed with the sun. And who is that woman clothed with the sun? That is Mary. Clothed with the sun with those, those white garments. And so we know with Mary's assumption that she is in heaven. And so why is this so 
important. Because once again, it shows the apostles, Jesus is not just fully human, he is fully divine. And this causes Peter, (laughs) oh Peter, right? Peter, to be so caught up and then so terrified, he doesn't know what to say, but he has to say something because it's Peter. You got to say something, right? And so what does he say? Rabbi, it is good that we are here. But what an understatement that is, to call him teacher. What he knows, it's the Son of God, but he just can't get it from his mouth yet. And so he simply says, Rabbi, which is, which is great, that's a good term, but doesn't reveal truly who Jesus is. They're terrified, but they can see now that he's fully human and fully divine. We fast forward in the story as well, right? The cloud appears and, and God comes down and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So what you're going to say, that affirmation of full divinity. And then something interesting happens as well. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus charges them not to say anything about this, not to really relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And this cast them into confusion again. And so they kept this matter themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. But this is Jesus now always pointing towards what? Which we see after the transfiguration in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that after the transfiguration, Jesus is always pointing towards his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we'll see this in these upcoming gospel accounts uh, as, as well. And it's through this, his death, his, his crucifixion, his passion, and his resurrection, that he's able to open up the gates of heaven for all of us. And that it's not only him who is a heavenly being, but that he opens it up to humanity as well. He opens it up to us. And we see this, actually. We see this in the sacraments. We see this because at the sacraments, so many of them, what do we wear? A white garment. Think back to your baptism. Well, maybe you don't remember your baptism your child's baptism, your grandchild's baptism, or maybe you're a catechumenate who's about to be baptized. What do you wear? What do the little babies wear? A white garment. Why is that? Because through baptism, they're going to be claimed now as God's children. That original sin wiped away. That now they're able to share in the divinity of God. We fast forward to First Communion. The girls processing down the aisle. What are they wearing usually? The white dress. Why? Because they're about to receive Jesus Christ and be able to share in his divinity because he humbled himself to share in our humanity. I also recommend that boys wear a white suit or a tuxedo at their First Communion. I know I did. And it's an awesome picture. There I am wearing a white suit and a pink tie. Why a pink tie? Because it was awesome in 1992 to wear a pink tie. But that white as well, right, to represent I now, when I receive Jesus Christ, will be sharing in his divinity. Fast forward or recall your own wedding. The bride wearing a white dress. Why 
is that? It's not just because of purity. Because as the bride and groom come together, it's not just those two entering into this marriage, but God is present as well. And that the three of them, Father, Son, and you know, the Father, God, and the groom and the, and the, and the, and the, the bride come together is an image of Christ. Think of ordination. When I got ordained, I was wearing a white elbow. Even every single mass, what does the priest and the deacon wear? The white elbow. Why? Because when you see this, hopefully, you see the priest and the deacon in a certain sense, and even our altar servers, I guess, right, uh, trying to act in the person of Christ. And so as we celebrate the Eucharist, as I'm there at the altar, and by the way, we see the altar, the white cloth. We see once again, this represents we are able to share in God's divinity. And that final thing that will happen in our life, our funeral. At the funeral, we start in the back of the church, and the coffin is placed there. And what do we place over the coffin or the urn? A white pall, which represents, once again, that we're able to be this heavenly being. How beautiful this is, that God has done this for us, that we're able to share in his divinity. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just on the day of our sacraments. For me personally, I'm not just called to act in the person of Christ when I'm wearing an album. I'm always called to live in a way of being God's son, as you are as well, as his son, as his daughter, as his beloved. And so what we must call to mind all the time is that is who we are. We are God's children, and to live in that reality, to continue to leave the world behind, the temptation of the world, and live in this reality of this heavenly being, and knowing that is what we are living for as well. It doesn't mean that all day long we're walking around with white albs on, right? But we call the mind that we're called to keep our soul clean as well. So if there's any sin, what we want to do, of course, is, is get that purified. And we'll talk more about that and preach more about that in the upcoming weeks throughout Lent. But even starting to think, how can I make my soul even pure? So I can truly live as I'm called to live, as a son or a daughter of God, and living as a heavenly being and a beloved child that God has created.